Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've been to see Maestro. Yes, in a theatre. Yes. In we a... know it's showing on Netflix, but we wanted to see it on a big screen. We is a big word. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted so did you to love it? it? No. You, <laughs> you wanted to see it and I was like, yeah, fine. And I thought it was two and a half hours on the Electric's website. It said 150 minutes. So I was thrilled to discover that that's clearly a mistake and it's just over two hours because um, we were out there. Half an hour sooner than I thought. Mm. Um, I didn't hate the whole thing, but I didn't like it very much. I do kind of think that probably actors should never actually direct themselves. Is kind of the conclusion. I think the only one who's ever really got away with it properly is Woody Allen. And the reason I think he it works with him is because everything is so kind of meta. Well, actually, I think also Clint Eastwood. And the reason for mm. both, I think, is because they're not really actors. <laughs> 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 I mean, one is a comedian... The other one is a star, right? Um, so I think you're right that he does a disservice to himself. And partly it's driven by generosity. I mean, he even uh, gives... Um, Carrie Mulligan? Carrie Mulligan a top billing uh, at the end of the credits, which, you know, I thought was extremely generous. Uh, so this is Bradley Cooper we're talking about. He's um, co-written and directed this. Yes. And stars in it as Leonard Bernstein. Um I think it's very poorly written, by the way, <laughs> like structurally. So scene to scene, you can argue. And I did find moments in the film absolutely thrilling. Mm-hmm. You know, And really the reason why I wanted to see it in cinema is those black and white scenes at the beginning where he stole uh, that he's conducting that day, you know, and that scene with uh, him opening up the curtain and then you're seeing Matt Bomer in bed, and then the camera kind of you know, floats you know, while he's running mm. to the theatre, and then it swoops in again, and you get that sense of excitement and thrill and sexiness, and it's all kind of beautifully visualised, you know? I, I think there's was... some real cinematic ambition. Yeah, I thought it was thrilling. And actually, I was surprised at how into it I got and so the mm. film the film opens on a shot of very old Leonard Bernstein in his 70s um, in in widescreen in colour and then it goes into his life in the 50s and 60s which is full frame uh, black and white we move into the 70s which is full frame in colour and then right at the end we get back into into the modern I think it's a little bit like we saw Poor Things recently and that's the whole opening of that is in black and white mm. apart from the first few shots which are in colour mm. and I think it's doing the same thing where it's saying we are doing colour in this film we are doing colour in widescreen so don't turn it off mm. you know because if you just started on black and white Academy Ratio I think people would go what is this mm. and I think they're kind of um reassuring the audience that you know there is colour in this film. Mm. Um, but that stuff in black and white early on where everyone's smoking, I mean, everyone's smoking all the time anyway, yes. but everyone's smoking all the time. Things are kind of beautifully sort of backlit and dramatically lit and everything, all, the smoke is always illuminated beautifully. I mean, it's it's got a real classic look and it evokes that era and evokes, it evokes the look it's going for. Very, you know, It's not yeah. just that it's like saying this is the 50s. It's saying this is like an image of the 50s and 60s. And the excitement and the wit and the showbiz, you know, thing. I kind of, I really love that. That scene where they're doing Fancy Free, I think. Uh, you know, he's written the ballet music and then there's like the, the three sailors dancing, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them 
is clearly dancing at Bernstein and there's like the sexual kind of thing happening. Mm. I thought that was all marvellous, really. I didn't like that scene. I love that scene. Yeah. That um, scene was where I started to think, oh, you are losing me now. No, I, I love that scene. But um, I think I think it's a, it's a dishonest film. It washes away many aspects of his life, so it shows them. So it shows Bernstein with men, uh, and it shows him doing drugs and so on. But um, it doesn't dramatize, you know, the kinds of psychological struggles and fears and, you know, uh, and so on that must have involved in all of those aspects of the decision-making, really. Uh, And then halfway through the film or three quarters of the way through the film it shifts entirely onto her with her cancer with her cancer but again i just didn't feel it was dramatic because you know at the very beginning she says she's conscious of who he is and what decisions she's making and basically he's a genius Mm. so you know she's accepting of that but you also don't get a sense of you know the daily struggles and what it's cost them and you know so you know um and i also didn't understand (laughs) the shift onto her, i.e. her getting cancer and dying is not enough of a rationale. I mean, that could have been done in two minutes. You know, it's not <laughs> a rationale to give over that much of the film to her. I thought structurally the film was kind of misguided, really. Yeah. Well, I spent basically the whole film, like at every individual moment in the film, going, what is the point of this? Ah. What am I supposed to be learning from this? What am I supposed to be feeling from this? It it feels it's illustrative, I think, I rather think than right. rather than kind of um, uh, exploratory, mm. as it were. You know, like it, you, go, you go, okay, right. So I could read Leonard Bernstein's Wikipedia page, and I could read this, this, and this, and I kind of see that represented here. But what am I? What am I feeling from this? What am I learning from this? And as you say, it's things like what are the struggles in these in this couple's life. You get you know, the occasional big scene. You get that one big scene where they have that. It kind of all comes out to some extent in the argument at the party. Mm. Um, that's in the in the kind of 70s section. Um, you know, it's where you're supposed to kind of feel all the stresses that have been involved in this marriage. Um, but you haven't felt them before then. You haven't felt them bubbling up. You know, you've just kind of, you, you've observed that, you know, Leonard Bernstein is married to this woman. He also has multiple affairs with men and women. And it hasn't added up to a feeling it's just been yes i have observed this <laughs> mm. and and now i see that she is uh, finally lashing out about it you know i think the film is dishonest as well in the sense that it's um ignoring the historical context plural yeah that are a setting and a structure for these lives right you know 43 where it begins is wartime yeah, and certainly kind of, you know, in the immediate post-war era, Gore Vidal writes very interestingly about kind of all the sexual excitement and, you know, it's like this release from war and kind of, you know, people having sex everywhere and so on. Hmm. But, you know, 47 is the beginning of the McCarthy era, really. Yeah, the, you know, kind of uh, the the uh, hearings on communism and anti-homosexuality and so on. It's very dangerous, you know, to be gay mm. right so this idea that people are kissing in public in the park yeah with no fear you know and no sense of consequence i mean uh, yeah i found that very unreal i, I you know i mean 
Bernstein might have done it once, but it doesn't kind of service the film to kind of treat it so casually. And then the whole of the latter half of the film, you know, when she's dying of cancer, what does it mean for a man, you know, now 70, you know, whatever his age was, uh, but beginning in 1980, say, so 60, where all of your friends and acquaintances are dying of AIDS. I mean, Mm. surely it must have been a fear for him. You know, were they still sleeping together? Is there a dangerous transmission? You know, kind of what psychic toll is it taking on him, you know, to have, you know, certainly a large part of his community dying, Mm. right? Like, kind of, the film touches on none of the real complexities of a life like Bernstein's, who is such a singular and important figure in all kinds of ways. And I do think it doesn't do him justice. Mm. I mean, I don't know that much about Leonard Bernstein. I know the figure and I know the face. And um, and I, you know, I'm aware of his kind of status as the first great American conductor who was kind of recognised worldwide. And I've seen, some, you know, the, the film talks about, although it didn't really show, um, his television shows yes. um, where he, he explained in depth music he taught people yeah you know, i mean that's, that's one thing that's really interesting about him is he's a teacher yeah throughout. he's exciting to see in those programs actually yeah you know he's such a great teacher and we see him teach here we see him teach here almost as much as we see him probably as much as we see him conducting mm-hmm. um which we also see a couple of times and there's one particular scene um which is this uh concert it's marla's marla's resurrection mm-hmm. i think in ely cathedral and i think they filmed it in ely cathedral and one thing that um Bradley Cooper was saying about making the film with Netflix was that he was able to do this full five minute performance of this movement, which is wonderful. And that working with a normal studio, he wouldn't have been able to do that. Mm. Um, so kind of that pays off, you know, I mean, I, you know, kind of, you know, my opinion on sort of Netflix movies, quote unquote, but that is something that Netflix appears to have given sure. him the opportunity to do that he wouldn't ordinarily have had. I, you know, hold my hands up to that because it's worth it. I mean, I, I honestly don't think that a film of this type would have gotten an $80 million budget for theatrical release outside of Netflix. Mm. I just I just don't think this type of film is on that budget is really kind of being done anymore outside of streaming. I, I just come out of the film feeling like, eh. Yeah, like no. I wasn't, I didn't come out feeling, oh, I hate this. I mean, I, I know I went in with, with just the lowest expectations and you were going, oh, you're in such a mood because I was on Facebook this morning so saying, go on, I'm being made <laughs> to see this bloody thing. Um, so like I went in with the lowest expectations, so maybe that partially explains why I come out not feeling completely antagonistic, but it's like, it's a film that has pace. I think it's got decent performances. I like the look of it. Carrie Mulligan, whom ever since she tried to get that variety, uh, critic fired Mm. because he said she wasn't hot enough. I've despised her really, because to me she embodies like this whole power, class, privilege, the idea of getting someone fired for doing his job. I I, I just despise her, really. Um, But she's fantastic in this. She won me over. Yeah. You know, she's really, really great. Yeah. Um, I I feel uh, more ambivalent about uh, Bradley Cooper's own performance because I think, it's like you say, moments, he has wonderful moments, right? Uh, I think he's better when he's older in the film. When he's younger, actually, I think the prosthetic nose, which we should probably talk about, gets in the way. 
because one of the things about seeing footage and pictures of Bernstein, but particularly footage, mm. you know, because he comes alive in motion, really, is, you know, he was really sexy. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and he was known for that. Yeah. He was somebody who just, you know, was fancied by people of, of both sexes. He was a very charismatic person, right? But he was also very sexy. Like, it's not just that people wanted to be near him or so on. It's like, yeah, people wanted to have sex with him, right? And Cooper does not communicate any of that in the opening sequences. I mean, um, I mean, he's obviously with mm. people. He's having sex with people. But he, he himself, in the performance, it does not exude kind of sexiness, really. Yeah, well, I suppose so. Um, and the nose distorts the younger face in a way that fits the older face. So I thought young Bernstein, you know, doesn't look like Bradley Cooper. And it also doesn't really look but like Bernstein because Bernstein was very handsome. I mean, he did have that nose. I don't have any problem with the use of a prosthetic, mm. right? Um, but, you know, it's just kind of the way that it uh, uh, is realized in the film. And it's partly his performance because he could be doing other things with his body, you know, with his movement and so on, it's it kind of um, diminishes the handsomeness of both the character and uh, uh, the actor. Uh, at a, at a, a moment in the narrative where it's kind of needed, you want that exuberance, that sexiness, that kind of, you know, mm. physical and emotional and talent uh, reaching out, really. I mean, I don't know how much I agree with that, just on basis that, I, I don't know how I don't know how harmful the prosthetic nose is to that, and I think you do get it through the kind of the, the joie de vivre of of Bernstein as he's played by Cooper. You know, he's kind of a love of life and his exuberance, and also so much of that early dialogue is written in this fast talking way that's very evocative of forties and fifties. Yes. It's quite deliberately so, I think. People kind of yeah, chatting yeah, back is. and forth, and you get and that kind of conveys some of that as well. So, and the thing is about the nose, I I never had any issue with the throat. I mean. I, I never had any issue with it when it when it was first it first emerged that he had this prosthetic nose. So this was back in I think spring last year when I guess the trailer and like photos from the set came out and people went crazy that he was playing a Jew face. I thought that was it was it's ridiculous because like so you know there is a negative association in in the world of stereotype sure. between uh, Jewish people and large hooked noses. It's always part of the evil Jewish caricature that you get. But also, Leonard Bernstein had a big nose. It was yeah. part of what he looked like. And and I was saying at the time, and, and um, Mark Harris wrote a defence of this. Um, yes, that was a very good piece, I thought. Yes. It was really good. Yeah. Fundam- and one thing that he pointed out was people are looking at one particular shot. And if you look at this other shot, which no one's looking at, with, mm. with like, you know, Bradley Cooper is at a different age and his face is at a different angle, and he's got the same prosthetic nose on. No one's having any issue with it. Yeah. It's like one particular thing where the nose appears to stand out. People are going crazy about it. And I was saying, like, let's have fucking wait until we see it in action, maybe. Yeah. And, and you see it in action, and it makes perfect sense. It's not overdone. It contributes to his look perfectly, kind of accurately. I, it just, it, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it I mean, fine. I, I have a problem with it in the early scenes. Not because, you know, it can, you know not because it's anti-Semitic or anything. Just because... It diminishes the look, right? So that, you know, because Bradley Cooper uh, is perceived by many to be a very handsome man. Leonard Bernstein definitely was. 
and kind of to me the way that that nose is designed on the younger Bernstein yeah is uh makes his face kind of wonky really um so you know I don't like it and I don't think it serves the narrative later on yeah as soon as uh, Bernstein hits middle age that nose fits yeah and mm. and it very much resembles kind of Bernstein it helps kind of uh, conceive of, of of that character at that age um but I, I, I didn't like it at the beginning. Um, I think the rest of the prosthetic and makeup work is fantastic as well. I mean, it's, the, it's all fun. Yeah. The, the look of Bernstein as a 70 ish year old, you know, yeah. in that opening and ultimately kind of closing segment um, is, re is remarkable. It you look is. at his neck. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's an old man's neck. And sure. It's, 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 it's pretty astonishing work, actually. Mm. Um, the problem I have with. Bradley Cooper is not in that I think he kind of gives a, a poor performance, that kind of thing. I, it comes down to this thing that I was saying at the start about actors directing themselves. There's a real self-importance vibe going on. Yeah. And Bradley Cooper has kind of, like, outside the film, I think part of the performance is Bradley Cooper as the auteur, mm. you know. The, the way I listened to this music when I was young, the interviews that he's giving about all this kind of stuff, how important it is to him. And... and it's very trying and you get to the film and when the film begins on that shot of him playing the piano from behind the slow track in it immediately communicates all the wrong things about the self-seriousness yeah and then you get to that scene because then it started to win me over a bit when it was kind of quick and snappy and stuff and then you get to that scene that we uh mentioned what was the play on stage the musical with all the sailors um fancy free i think Fancy free, and and you see them. It's not. It's that kind of whirlwind, sort of half slightly imagined thing going into the theatre and going up on stage and watching them. And it's all that sort of smiling at each other in in completely implausible ways that I just hate. You know, oh, we're smiling at each other, having a great time. And then she says, she says something like, "What do you? Is that what you want?" Something like that. And he leans forward and he gets his big close up and he has this smile on his face and he says. There's a lot of things I want. Yeah. I thought, oh God, you're such a fucking actor, aren't you? you know? I know, but I love that because Oof. it felt like a dream ballet, right? That whole thing, Oof. like a 1940s dream ballet, but in black and white. I have. Do you know what I mean about Bradley Cooper? I do. I exactly know what you mean. It is a very self-important use of himself, even though he himself is often quite wonderful in some scenes. I think mm. and hugely skilled. Um, but the way that he conceives of those scenes is kind of um, unrelenting, uncompromising, and misjudged, you know? So kind of there are entire scenes that are played like... So, for example, the whole uh, fight discussion between uh, 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 Felicia and, and, and Leonard Bernstein in the apartment, mm. which is done in this hugely long take with the camera kind of distance. You know that it's there so that kind of to benefit the actors, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're kind of interacting with each other. It's kind of long bits of dialogue, kind of in a way their skills get to really shine. Mm. But actually it doesn't serve the film. Mm. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Um, and there are many scenes like that. The scene in the park where they're talking and it's again a huge long shot, kind of, you know, that mm. you know, you're seeing them at a distance for a long time. The and use you know, of long take I didn't dislike, though. No, no, I yeah. like the long take. And but there are that, times when... The, that one, yeah. I thought, 
was giving the important, giving the actors primacy over the film. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, but I do think that there's also I like the ethos of of letting the action play out in full, and and those particular takes. There's certainly a couple early on where things are played in long take, but the camera is moving mm-hmm. and restaging and that sort of thing, and that really works for me. And it's like you've you've real thought has been put into how mm-hmm. that's being done. To give an example of, so you know. I have mixed feelings about Cooper's performance because he is hugely skilled, uh, but he's often not convincing, right? And I want to just to, um, you know, that moment where he arrives with Felicia and springs the surprise on his boyfriend, i.e., yeah, this is Felicia, oh, yes, this yes. is the clarinet player, and you realize, like, the cruelty and harshness, it's basically like I'm dumping you for her and it comes out of nowhere for the other guy, right? And there's this look on Matt Bomer's face, like, you know, just a sadness, right? A realization that I think communicates so much more than all of the fluty mm. kind of voice gesture that, you know, Bradley Cooper does in, you know, what is a quite a flowery performance. It's kind of, mm. you know, it's full of, I mean, obviously... On the one hand, there's a range there and there's a, a showing off of skills and so on, you know, but I also think that kind of quite a lot of it is not necessary mm. and certainly doesn't communicate the truth of the moment as clearly as Matt Bomer's very simple kind of, you know, performance does mm. uh, in, in, in similar scenes and their scenes together. But that's all. there's also... The, the direction does benefit that, though, because it leaves the camera on Matt Bomer throughout. It doesn't cut away from him. You see that reaction in full. That's true. And, and that really works, you know, because it's all about him at that point. Yeah. And and the right decision has been made there to, mm. to, to show that. For a biography, for a film bio, like, it really is... So, you know, because it's called Maestro, so you think it's about Bernstein. But actually... If you look at it as being about Bernstein, I think it's a real failure because the film doesn't really convey, no. you know, the life or the career or the importance or, you know, kind of um, the boundary breaking uh, 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 aspects of the life and the career. If you look at it as a picture of her, then clearly it's not, except in the last half, it becomes more about her. And then also, if you look at it as a picture of a marriage, right, then I think it also kind of doesn't really succeed, right, because a lot of those complications in that marriage are kind of glossed over or feel false. So, for example, Felicia might really not have loved him, but, you know, he's uh, young, he's talented, he's rich, he's on his way up, right? That might have been a decision why she might want to accept kind of that he's not, like, fully heterosexual you want to be able to see kind of yeah those factors those decisions those things that kind of complicate life that yeah it's not that she's just a super nice person who's very accepting and open right i mean you know kind of uh you know what does it mean to be that accepting and open in 1943 anyway Mm. right like kind of you get no sense of 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 that from the film i don't think no this is what i was saying about the film being illustrative um, I think and you're that's, right. That's at best, and that's why I said, you know, throughout, I'm thinking, what is the point of this? What is what is the thematic through line? I can I can understand superficially. It's about a, a marriage. It's about a guy 
um, who's gay or bisexual in a world in which that's kind of not okay. But of course, you you never really get the feeling that it's not okay because in his world, it's constant mm. and it's perfectly fine. And then maybe it's about you know the toll it takes on the marriage, and there's an element of that, and the toll it takes on the family. You get the thing with the daughter, um, having heard rumours um, about him. And on top of that, you're also thinking like this is about you know this great musical genius. Is it going to be expressed to me why he was such a genius? And and it doesn't really. You get people talking about what a genius he is. And it's a very hard thing to get across, mm. like what makes music so marvellous mm. to someone who doesn't really understand. I mean, I'm saying I don't understand it, but it's a tricky thing to convey. And the probably the best decision that the film makes in that sense is by giving you that performance at Ely Cathedral um, because you, you're given time and space to feel it and it produces it so well. Um, but even then, it's just a performance of a musical piece and if and what's, what's there to explain to you or to express to you why this conductor is such a genius and not some other conductor? Mm. You know, what makes him so great? I don't get that either. So that's why I say, like, it all... I, like, on paper... These ideas are all in place, and nothing is expressed. Nothing. I mean, for me, there are two things. First, you don't, like I said, you don't really get a sense of the accomplishments of the person uh, or the career, right? Uh, I think also I wasn't moved at all by any of it, Mm. except there were moments where I did feel a kind of excitement, right? You know, those those shots at the beginning that I mentioned. Or the use of the music sometimes. The music alone, yeah? So, you know, when they're playing... You know, from West Side Story, yeah? Kind mm. of... You get the sense of the excitement of that music, right? And how new, kind of, it was. And the sense of danger, yeah? Mm. Kind of... So, so the music often kind of... Um, conveyed that feeling to me right or made me feel but actually the drama didn't mm. so um so in that sense i think the film is a real failure and i don't understand why it's been nominated or you know why so many people are kind of picking it as one of the best films of the year if they're picking it as one of the best films of the year they haven't seen enough yeah it's a biopic it's about a great american icon it's bradley cooper writing and directing and acting and it's all of that and it's in black and white. I mean, that's it's fucking Oscar bait. That's what it is. Uh huh. So you think the nose is like having no legs? It's like <laughs> my left foot. <laughs> I mean, there's kind of an element of that. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's putting on a voice as well, and so is Carrie Mulligan. You know, um, which is not to say that those those accents and those kind of patterns of speech aren't believable. Mm. Um, I think they really are. And if, I mean, Carrie Mulligan's took a while for, for me to get along with it it felt very artificial but mm. i don't know you know felicia I, d- I don't know the person she was portraying and how realistic that is and eventually i i mm. bought into it you know um but yeah i mean it's oscar bait that's what this is yeah well it succeeded the bait hooked <laughs> yeah what what are its nominations i wonder uh so academy awards nominations it's got one two three four five six seven that's a lot uh best picture best actor best actress best original screenplay Best cinematography, makeup and hairstyling, and sound. Okay, that makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Except for the screenplay, um, I actually don't think it's a very good screenplay. 
I think it's badly structured, and the scenes don't don't breathe; they don't come alive. Mm. Uh, I'm glad we saw it though, and I'm glad we saw it uh, in a big theater. Really, um, I honestly don't think I would have finished it watching it on Netflix. I would have turned it off halfway through. Really. Well, that speaks volumes. Yeah, uh, yeah, it does. But in many ways, I mean, I do think that your levels of absorption and so on are different in a big screen, you know. And I didn't begrudge the film for, um, you know, for for using it in those ways. I mean, I, to be honest, I wasn't bored until I realized at some point that, you know, her death just kept dragging on. <laughs> right? and, and I did think, where is the film going? Yeah, yeah because there's, you know, there's still... And I thought, oh, my God, there's still like an hour to go. Yeah. Right. What are they going to do? Right. So that. Uh, but then it turned out it was only half an hour. You should have been. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> we thought it was half an hour longer than it, than it was. <laughs> but I mean, I was the same thing. You know, when when, um, when you got to the 70s and the film turned into color, I, I leaned over to you and I went, there's, there's, we're not even an hour into this. You know, mm. and as it turns out, OK, we're basically we're almost a halfway point. Mm. But I was thinking. Oh, an hour and a half. Mm. So yeah, as all of that is kind of our experience of the uh, duration of the film is not reliable because we were we were just misinformed. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I do think so. I, we can't finish this without mentioning a kind of annoyance. I mean, I've used the word dishonest, kind of you know, quite a bit, but I resented as a gay man watching the men in Bernstein's life kind of clearly so important to him, yeah, the hand-holding and so on, mm -hmm. being um, minimized by the film, right? Because, mm. you know, these people who are clearly so important in his life, the film really treats as if they were nobodies, as if they were interchangeable, yeah. Dalliances. As, yeah, yeah, you know, so, so I really resented that. Yeah, I agree with that. The kind of, the, the whole gay aspect of the film is given short shrift in, in several ways. And that's one of them. And another one that we've mentioned is that it makes it seem so easy. Mm. Um, and it just can't have been, yeah. you know, I mean the, the one, the fear that, that Bernstein has when he's in the park embracing mm. whichever one of his partners is at the time, his fear is not that he'll be seen being gay in public. Mm. It's that it's even a fear. He just kind of says, are people over there looking at me going, is that really him? Yeah, and it's kind of it's a thing about fame or or yeah. that, that sort of thing. But it's not. It's, I suppose it doesn't doesn't quite come over as fear, and it certainly doesn't come over as fear of being found out. Yes, which you would think would be a very plausible fear. And and the film likes to have it both ways because there is this bit of dialogue where his mentor tells you know the whole discussion about changing his name, mm. but it actually begins by saying something like, "It'll do you good to be married." Right. Mm. Yeah. Because, yeah, then you can, yeah, be less threatening. And also, how about your name? Right. Like, yeah. yeah. So, so these, you know, maybe for him, marriage was also a way of protecting himself, a way of advancing his career, you know, yeah, that whether he loved her or how he loved her, you know, then become kind of different questions when, you know, marriage is seen as an absolute necessity if you're going to you'd be a public person having a particular kind of career in life. Yeah. Those things are not rendered as drama, as a problem, as considerations, right? Kind of, no. you know. So they're there on the edges of the film, but they're not dramatized. And they should be that. I mean, the thing about, about um, changing his name 
you know, the idea is you should change your name to Leonard Burns and, you know, essentially to kind of westernise it, non jewishify it, um, as so many people did. Yes. Um, and he obviously, you, know, you see the kind of look of discomfort on his face when that's suggested, and then it's just like not brought up again, and it's obvious that he rejected that. We all know him as Leonard Bernstein, he never changed his name. Um, so the film, kind of, it brings it up, suggests it, it goes away, and then this much bigger thing about something that you are you are actually, well, the question of whether he's hiding it about himself, that he's gay or mm. bisexual, as the case may be, it doesn't really come up that he's hiding it. It's just, it's a part of his life that never gets, that he manages to never address. Mm. And the one time it is brought up by his daughter, as I said, he's heard these rumours, um, he's he able, lies. <laughs> yeah, he's able to lie and pass it off as, but these people are jealous of me. But I even hated that moment because, you know, he's clearly lying at Felicia's request, but you never get a sense of um, anger at himself, disappointment, regret, shame mm. at having lied, right? Like, you know, kind of, these are all things that must have gone in his head, right? So it's like the narrative takes you a little bit, but then drops everything, you know, and kind of doesn't deal with uh, with things properly. Uh, so I kind of, I really dislike that. And the, the, the scene with the change of name is similar, right? Because it's laughed off in this contemporary way as if like, oh no, we won't change our names. Well, why do you think so many people did change their names, right? Because there were real costs and real dangers and like kind of, you know, people weren't being like, uh, uh, particularly cowardly or stupid for changing their name. They changed their name for a reason, right? Like kind of, you mm. know, so it was a real kind of issue that, uh, you know, that the anti-Semitism kind of existed in powerful ways. That's why people changed their name, right? It wasn't just like... Yeah, yeah. well, it didn't, it didn't play to me as being laughed off, although I maybe have to watch the scene again, but it played to me as essentially ignored by the film. As I say, you get that. The one thing I really remember is the kind of look of discomfort on Bernstein's face as he's um, proposed mm. you know, this, um, and it's clear that he, he is not interested. In that doesn't want to do it. Um, but then you, the the scene ends reasonably quickly after that with with uh, Felicia whisking him off mm. to whatever, and and it's never brought up again. So it's not so much laughed off as as brought up and ignored completely. Yes. Um, so. Which is characteristic of the film, actually. Uh, and it's the biggest problem with it. It never really comes alive, except in brief moments, you know, kind of. Um, so, still, I'm glad we saw it. Mm, well, it's over now, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh. look, it's better than A Star Is Born, I think. Well, I like The Star Is Born, so I don't, I don't agree. Yeah. Um, this, is a, this is a more complex film, but... Um, a greater failure. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so on that note, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at eavesdropmovies and Blue Sky, eavesdropping.bsky.social and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>